Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dan Buettner is an award-winning journalist and a New York Times bestselling author. And he's probably most famous because he's the man who discovered the five places in the world dubbed Blue Zones, where people live the longest, healthiest lives. We love Blue Zones here at MBG, and we love Dan, as he's an incredible human being, and it's always a joy to have him back on this show. Dan, welcome. Always a pleasure. So great to have you on the podcast. It's always a pleasure on this end, Jason. I, I regard you as a brother of sorts, brother by another mother. I, I am very flattered. I am very flattered, and the feeling is mutual, so thank you so much. So... Blue Zones. Blue Zones is it has serious staying power, and there are so many lessons that were applicable years ago that are still applicable and even more important today. And I'm going to start with one gym membership, something we've talked about. You've said that those who live in the Blue Zones don't have a gym membership. They don't necessarily go to CrossFit, but they get way more exercise than the average American. So can you talk about that scenario and what is it about like these constant micro movements, if you will, that actually help extend our life? Yes, I think our intentions when it comes to gym memberships and so forth would help us live a long time. But the reality, and I've seen the data, people who sign up for gym memberships, they think they're gonna go every other day but the reality is they go fewer than six times a month so that's not nearly enough and the vast majority of new memberships are gone by about nine months so right-minded they they don't work in execution in blue zones and remember blue zones are these five areas in the world sardinia italy okinawa japan nicoya costa rica the adventist in the united states here and ikaria greece these are pockets where people are living about 10 years longer than Americans. And, and the big difference is they're not getting chronic diseases. They're not getting the diseases that are foreshortening our lives and costing our country three and a half trillion dollars a year. These are avoidable diseases. So my project, Blue Zones with National Geographic, set out to in a sense reverse engineer longevity. And I was as shocked as anybody else. I got to these places and they're fit. In some of the blue zones, fewer than 2% of people are obese. They are, they're not dying of heart attacks. They have a, a tenth the rate of dementia. Type 2 diabetes is almost non-existent. So you start saying, these guys must be marathon runners, or they got CrossFit gyms. They have none of that. But then you take a careful look at their moment-to-moment, day-to-day lives, and they're nudged into movement every 20 minutes or so. And... We make the mistake that we are going to consciously make the right decisions when it comes to diet and exercise consistently enough for long enough to not develop one of these diseases, and we just don't. Our brains are hardwired for novelty. Um, Our discipline wears out at a certain point. New ideas come across our transom all the time. The big epiphany in Blue Zones is they're moving every 20 minutes, not because they have a Fitbit or some aura ring that's paying them or there's a a regimen. They're moving because their environment is set up in such a way that they're nudged into movement. What do I mean by this? 
Every time they go to work or a friend's house or out to eat, it occasions a walk. They have gardens out back. And gardens out back, they need to be watered and weeded and harvest hoed and uh, harvested. They, their houses aren't full of the mechanical conveniences that have engineered physical activity out of our life. So they're still using hand tools and kneading bread by hand, grinding corn by hand, picking up their own garage doors. So the big lesson to get back to your question from Blue Zones is if you want to live a long time, you want to think about shaping your surroundings so you're nudged into walking and moving every 20 minutes as opposed to gym memberships. So it's funny you mentioned the Fitbit, the aura. Of course, I wore both. But as you describe the lifestyle, if I were to describe what I subscribe to, what well-being looks like for me, it's a blend of blue zones and biohacking. So I track everything, but I don't go to the gym. I don't go to CrossFit. I spend a lot of time moving, a lot of stairs, a lot of walking some yoga, like everything's in five to 10 minute intervals, partly because I don't have the time because we have two little girls and we're running a business and there's a lot going on, but like that, that's what works for me. But I'm curious from your point of view, like what, for someone listening who doesn't have a farm, who doesn't have time to make the bread, so to speak, what's like a blue zones inspired look like for someone today? And like, how, how does that, how do we incorporate that into our lifestyle? Cause to your point, most people sign up for a gym membership and then they go, and then they don't, and then it's over. Yes. Well, I, I think first thing to realize, if you're listening to the Mind Body Green podcast, you're probably an enlightened human being to begin with. In other words, <laughs> you care about your health and you're trying to improve it. So I, this is not the average American. Fewer than 15% of Americans get the minimum recommended amount of physical activity. So most of my comments are for the average American. But a few things that you can do that will engineer physical activity into your life. Number one, it's really important to have, this is simple, but you have a super comfortable pair of walking shoes and keep them by your door. That nudges you. Set up your social network. Find a buddy who you like to walk with and set a schedule right now and agree on the schedule. And that buddy will nudge you. And if you say, we're gonna walk every other day around our neighborhood, or we're gonna take the weekends and we're gonna take a hike, make a pact between them. You don't have to think about it. You've made the promise. If you're not, if you're not showing up, your buddy's gonna be calling you, et cetera. So, I mean, those are some pretty easy long-term things that really make a difference over time. So what's a day in the life for Dan? If, if I'm a, a walk stairs, always moving a little light yoga i do some little light like body weight stuff like i'm always moving all the time within our four or five block radius between our office and our home here in brooklyn what's what do you do i'm curious what's a day in the life in terms of your movement to make sure you're moving like you need to move well i made one of the most important foundational decisions and i i moved into a blue zone like community so I spend my year in two places, mostly in Miami and Santa Barbara, and I live in very walkable communities in both areas. So I always start my day. I have a number of phone calls I make, and I just put my headphones in, and I'll walk for two hours and do you know, the uh, equivalent of, of conference calls. And then uh, it's, I'll go into town, and which is only 10 minutes away. I bike all the time. So I have a bike ready to go all the time. And then I'm a big believer that if you love it, you'll do it. 
So I tried a bunch of sports. You know, believe it or not, I'm over 30. And uh, at my age, you know, I've recently learned I can't rollerblade anymore because of uh, some catastrophic wipeouts. But I love pickleball. I just discovered it. And it's one of these things I do with the community. And I do it as much as I can. And I can play pickleball for two hours. I don't even know the time went by. And here the whole time I have an elevated heart rate. And I'm using range of motion, developing lower body strength, et cetera. So um, if you don't enjoy doing it, forget it. Because you're not going to do it for long enough. If, if you force yourself to train for a marathon uh, because you think it's going to make you live longer, forget it. Because if you hate it, you'll do it this year. And the next year you'll drop it. And when it comes to longevity, if it's not something you're going to do for decades, don't waste your time. Yeah, I'm a huge believer of loving what you do. There, there's a great line. I think it was from Tim Ferriss. The best exercise is the one you actually do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there to me, go. it, go, it goes back to loving what you do, because if you don't love it, push is going to come to shove and you're not going to have time. You're saying, eh, I don't want to do this. Like, I hate running. The last time I ran was in 1998, the last basketball game I played in college. That was the last <laughs> time I ran. Now I say I joke. If, if you see me running, that means I'm being chased. Call the police. <laughs> or by the police. <laughs> or by hopefully not. But like, I hate running. I'm just not going to do it. And so. Yeah, exactly. So don't force yourself. Same with CrossFit. That's why walking is such an incredibly powerful and under-celebrated. You think you actually get about if if you're walking 60 minutes a day, you're getting about 90% of the physical activity conditioning of training for a marathon. You're using 200 or so different muscles, and it's pleasant. You can be on the phone, you can be listening to a book, you could be with a friend talking about your relationships or figuring out some new ideas. And, and that's why I'd say number one is uh, set up your life so it's easy to walk. So you, you mentioned having a workout buddy or someone to talk to. And another important component of longevity is face-to-face -face human connection, which with, with the pandemic has, has been a struggle for a lot of people. And in your opinion, what should we do if we don't have access to in real life connections? How, how can we still get that face-to-face -face human connection, which is critical to our longevity. Yeah, I mean, before COVID, I was kind of a Luddite when it comes to, to social interaction. I believed it needed to be face-to-face. -face. But I've recently joined a, a panel on loneliness from the Aspen's Idea Fast, and we passed around a study that showed even on Zoom or even on, we're on Skype right now, especially if you can see the person's faces. If you're having a discussion with emotional content, it's not just gibbering away about sports or celebrity or something, but if you can see somebody's face and you can have a meaningful conversation about things that are important to you, and especially if you're having a hard day and you can talk to them and they actually care about you, it works. So... The point being, it's not just to get on Zoom to have these sort of facile, happy hours, but having the time now to cultivate the relationships with people who really care about you. It might have been an old high school friend. It might be somebody you worked with a decade ago. But I, I think COVID has given us the time and the mind space to reconnect with people. And maybe face-to-face -face isn't ideal, but also Zoom or these interactive uh, video 
apparatuses are a very good proxy. So we can't talk about COVID without talking about the immune system. And a key part of longevity is making sure our immune system is resilient. So I'm curious with regards to the immune system, what are some of your favorite immune supporting foods and any other foods like we're not thinking about in terms of this immune support conversation? Yeah, first of all, I don't have much faith in these sort of immune supplements and so forth. The immune system, you have to realize, is not a blunt instrument. It's more like a fleet of dental equipment, very fine-tuned, and it makes very small adjustments. You know, with COVID, a lot of the death come from having an immune system too ramped up as opposed to not strong, quote-unquote, strong enough. But one of the big findings through doing the research for the Blue Zones Kitchen and the recent story I wrote for National Geographic on the world's healthiest foods was the role that our microbiome plays vastly under-celebrated in the importance that our microbiome is a mass of about 100 trillion bacteria. And those bacteria produce something called short-chain fatty acids, which leach into our, our, our blood system and they regulate our immune system. They, they are those little dental, or they, they fuel those dental tools that fine tune our immune system to fend off with the right amount of force and the right amount of per precision diseases like COVID. These short chain fatty acids also control inflammation. They even govern our mood. And what most Americans don't realize is that the only thing those good bugs eat is fiber. And the standard American diet, hamburger, french fries, processed foods, pizzas, candy bars, you know, the, the mainstay of the American diet has almost zero fiber. So when that microbiome is starved, our immune system goes out of whack. And perhaps the, one of the best things you can do is load up on fiber. And of course, my approach of doing it is making this wonderful longevity cocktail, nothing fancy here, called minestrone soup, which has three beans, six different kinds of vegetables, and, and provides a rainbow of different fiber species to feed all of those wonderful micro, microbes in my gut and um, keeping my immune system fit and ready should I get seriously sick. So you mentioned that delicious soup. I'm curious, what is in your kitchen right now? What, do you, what are your, what are your go-to staples? What's in your pantry? What's in your fridge? I'm in my kitchen right now. And right here, you can see I was actually eating a bowl of my famous minestrone. But also, you know, I'm, since I'm here right now, I'll, I'll tell you. So I, you know, my main cabinet it's almost all beans. I have about 10 kinds of beans. I have, I have dried hominy. I have whole grain rice. I have barley. I do have a protein powder because I want to make sure I get enough of that to continue to build up my massive muscles. My blue zone physique is just something awesome to behold, but it has to be maintained. Uh, I use a ton of uh, spices and herbs, herbs like oregano and rosemary and sage, they're all anti-inflammatories and they're even mild diuretics. I always, I always have nut butters on hand, uh, big go-to. Ezekiel bread I like because 
Uh, it's got a very low glycemic load. That, that's the type of bread that's seven grains you keep in your freezer. Kind of a big go-to. But mainly I'm a bean guy, Jason. I like – I have become a bean virtuoso by through writing the Blue Zones Kitchens. I've, I've gathered the best bean recipes in the world, and I can make beans taste better than a steak, and I can make them healthier for you than just about anything else you'd eat. What's your? Are you a black bean guy or are you a pinto bean guy? What's your favorite bean of the moment? Well, black beans. There's an argument. Black beans are the healthiest beans. The 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 same pigment that makes beans black is the pigment that make blueberries blue, and that pigment carries a lot of antioxidants. So there's an argument for black bean being the healthiest, but. I'm a big I'm a big fan of eating the type of bean you like. They're all great and they all offer different properties and the important thing is that you get some variety so you keep eating them. If I told you black beans were the healthiest beans and that's the one I eat every day, you might eat them with great abandon for the next month, but you'd soon be sick of black beans and you know, and we don't want you to go off into some tragic, you know, meat plunge um, <laughs> because I didn't give you the right bean recipes. <laughs> all, all good. All good. I'm a fan of all beans. It is a staple in our house as well. And so, something you've talked about quite frequently in, in all, all of your Blue Zones work is multi-generational living, the grandmother effect. And it's something I'm personally a huge fan of. Colleen and I have two little girls, my mother watches them she doesn't live with us but she watches them and so we are a huge fan of multi-generational living you say you know it's good for it's good for longevity it's good for the kids it's good for the parents it's good for the grandparents the kids actually do better in school so can you talk a little bit about the power of the grandmother effect if you will sure you know the way i write my books is is i identify areas in the world where people live statistically longest then i go report it's basically science reporting. And where I first observed this multi-generational situation was in Sardinia, where uh, a family would never warehouse their aging parent. It would shame the family to send grandma or grandpa off to the retirement home. So they stay into the home. And they're not only well, they're not recipients of care. It turns out you do get a lot better care when you stay in the home in general than you do if you're shipped off to some retirement home. But the modus operandi there is grandma and grandpa contribute. Grandma keeps the sort of culinary tradition of the sourdough bread starter and all these great recipes. Gr grandpas have been around agriculture for their whole life. They know when to plant, when to grow, how to handle pests and so forth. They, they've been through the economic downturns and, and, and booms. They, they develop resilience. They develop wisdom to get through hard times. And all of that, by the way, favors the survivability and the, and the happiness of the children and the grandchildren and sometimes the great-grandchildren and even the great-great-grandchildren. So I made that observation, and then I dug into the literature. And sure enough, there's something called the grandmother effect that you see in several species of animals, mammals, not just humans, you see it in elephants. But every species that keeps the grandparent nearby, you see the children have lower rates of mortality, 
which is say higher survivability rate. But in humans, they also have lower rates of disease and they do better in school. So it's this wonderful virtuous circle that goes largely overlooked in America as we, you know, it's it's vogue now to, you know, send our, our aging parents off to Florida or Arizona or something when they should be part of the family. And those those families that understand that, celebrate it, embrace it, everybody does it. The grandma or the grandpas, they they get somewhere between a two and a six year life expectancy bump by staying in home. And the kids do better. And mom usually has another set of hands for child care. And the whole household is imbued with 70, 80, 90 years of wisdom. So it's a win, 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 win. Yeah, it, 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 I'm a huge fan. It's amazing for us. And everyone benefits. As our, as our mutual friend John Mackey would say, it's a win. Yeah. Everyone wins. It's a win for the kids. It's a win for the parents and the grandparents. It, it, it's amazing. Conscious and, God. Yeah. In Singapore... They actually give a you a tax break if your aging parent lives within a half a kilometer of your home because they know that aging parent will get care from the family. They'll the aging parent will if they get sick, the, the son or daughter can run over there. Likewise, the aging parent can provide kind of daycare for the family. So it's thinking in terms of reshaping our surroundings, and I'm, I'm including also our the, the, the political surroundings or the policies that govern our, our communities. That's the strat, the blue zone strategy for making helping people live longer and better. Blue, the, my first book, The Blue Zones: Nine Lessons from the People of the Longest, set out here are the things that you can do that or that people in who are living the longest are doing. And Blue Zone Solution is very much about how we implement them. And the implementation is not trying to change behavior. The implementation is changing your surroundings so that it's you mindlessly are making better choices all day long, every day, as opposed to relying on discipline and consciousness and your outlook calendar. So... You're responsible for one of my all-time favorite quotes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it back to you. If purpose were a pill, it would be a blockbuster drug. I'll stop there for a minute and pause, and I'll continue on your quote. People who know their sense of purpose live about eight years longer than people who are rudderless. It's so true. It's so timely, as I think a lot of people out there right now are trying to find their purpose, and you know, cultivating a sense of purpose can be difficult. So... What, what do you say to people who are struggling right now to find their why, if you will? Yes. Well, that should be your starting point is finding your why. And then that's very well put too, Jason. The I think very possibly a silver lining to this whole COVID mess is a lot of people are losing their jobs and notwithstanding the pain and financial strain that often occasions most Americans don't like their job. And this is from Gallup. Fewer than 30% of Americans find their why at work. They're doing it because they need the money. And if we're out of work now, we have an opportunity to reboot. And that really starts with, and this is from a guy named Richard Leiter, L-I-D-E-R, Richard. He's, he's written the best books on purpose in America. Refirement is one of them. And he essentially boils it down to this. And anybody listening to me now right now, you can take a legal pad or open up a 
a page on your computer and you want essentially four columns. And the first column is writing down, and this is an exercise you actually have to do if you want to, if you want to know what your purpose is. But you want one column where you list the things you like to do. And it could be, I love fixing things, or I love resolving conflict, or I love cooking, or I love animals. And then the things you're good at, another column. And try to get 10 or so. And then what you would say your values are. Another list of your values. I, I, I want to preserve the climate. I care about immigrants. I care about women's rights. I'm a Christian. Whatever it is, you list those out. And then you sit and you look at that and you try to look for the commonalities and, and across those three columns. And then the fourth column is outlets for them. And for a few lucky Americans, and I would say, Jason, you and I are among them, our work is an outlet for our passions, our, what we're good at, and our values. But for most Americans, it's going to be something else. It's going to be volunteer opportunity. I think to get our to put our pa- our purpose to work, it's probably going to have to be in some philanthropic and endeavor. And by the way, there's a good study that shows that the best thing you can do if you're if you lose your job, this is counterintuitive, is to volunteer. There's a huge people wow. experience a catastrophic drop in life satisfaction when they lose their job. They often lose their social network. They lose their their sense of purpose in some cases. They lose their income stream. It's really hard on people. And for some people, it's as bad as a divorce. The best anecdote is counterintuitively is get back up on the horse and volunteer. Take the focus off of your own problems. Put it on the on somebody else's, even, might even have it worse than you. Build that new social network. Develop perhaps another skill. So when a job opportunity comes along, you have a broader set of options. Wow. Powerful. Um, very powerful. And uh, giving back gratitude, these things don't cost money. Just time. No, they don't. And they're proven to work, by the way. So something, yeah, I'm just going to pull another quote. You've got a lot of great quotes. Something from your Instagram where you said, Many of the Blue Zone strategies I recommend, downshifting, natural movement, family first, social connections, cooking as simple plant-based foods, are now part of the standard set of recommendations for staying healthy, maintaining mental health, and finding purpose during this unprecedented time in history. People in Blue Zones have been living this way and getting through even tougher times for centuries. So can you unpack that quote for us? Well, if you're eating a standard American diet, which is to say going out to eat at uh, typical restaurants, it's probably shaving about six years off of your life expectancy. When you every time you go out to eat, you consume about on average 300 more calories than you would if you're eating at home. This pandemic is forcing us to stay at home. Restaurants are closed. We're not supposed to be gathering with too many people. It is the perfect opportunity to relearn the art of cooking. And from my books, a very clear message we get from the Blue Zones is 95 to 100% of their dietary intake is whole food 
plant-based. It's not to say they didn't eat meat and a little bit of cheese and, and fish once in a while, but overwhelmingly what they were eating were whole grains, greens, tubers, nuts, and beans. And um, to, to get yourself a good plant-based cookbook, and there's tons of them, How Not to Diet. I wrote Blue Zone Kitchen recently, the Moosewood Cookbook, Forks Over Knives. There's a ton of great ones out there. Find in the same way that you were quoting before that the, the best exercise is the exercise you'll do, the best food is the plant-based food that you actually like. And sometimes it requires trying enough dishes to find one that you and your family like. And you might have to make 20 of them before you find a half a dozen that, man, this is delicious. And once you taste it, uh, once you cooked it and tasted it and like it, it's so easy to do that again and again, because I don't have to convince you to do something you don't want to do. You have the visceral experience of having enjoyed that. It's not a big sell to get you to do it again. Well, what I love so much about Blue Zones is it's a lifestyle and it's attainable. And you can enjoy things like two of my favorite things, coffee and wine. <laughs> You know, I think, I think, and, and I've tried everything and, and I, and I also believe that try everything, find out what works for you. But I think where we, we go wrong often with diet or nutrition is there's the flavor of the month and it's all or nothing. And you demonize foods and, and look like notwithstanding people who have serious issues and maybe we need to do that. Maybe they're autoimmune or they're, they're suffering and, and need to really eliminate some foods they're exclusionary and it's hard to live that way forever and with blue zones you you can it's attainable you don't have to be 100 percent vegan essentially it's a plant-based whole foods diet and you can't have coffee you can't have wine actually like we'll talk about coffee and wine because these, these are staples of the diet and their health benefits so can we talk about coffee and wine? My two favorite yeah, sure. beverages. Okay, so coffee. So in in four out of the five blue zones, they're drinking coffee, and usually it's black. And there's plenty of research correlating the cons moderate consumption of coffee with lower rates of diabetes and even lower rates of Parkinson's disease. Black coffee. If you're drinking coffee, it's well, it's the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet which is more a commentary of the American diet than it is on coffee. But if you're drinking coffee before uh, noon, probably a plus for your health. And the, the, what a lot of people don't understand when it comes to coffee, that the optimal amount is about a quarter of a cup. If you think of a, a small Starbucks coffee, about a quarter of that coffee, I, I dilute it in water per hour. And that keeps you from having the big spike and then the drop. It, and you get this sort of the right amount of caffeine where you sustain sort of the elevated attention and elevated feeling of energy through midday. But most people should taper off midday so it's not interfering with their sleep. Wine, same thing we see in most blue zones, except with the Adventists, that drinking a little wine every day it's probably a net positive. It's, it lowers your overall mortality. Now, there, this isn't to say that if you're not drinking now, you should start drinking or you have a problem with it. You should. This gives you justification. It isn't. But having a 
two glasses of wine or so uh, per day is probably a net positive. Ideally, you're drinking wine with a Blue Zone diet, whole plant-based diet. It about quadruples the flavonoid absorption or the antioxidant absorption of just drinking water. So there's actually... Uh, some argument that wine is better than water with, with the right kind of meal. Uh, drinking it with friends. We actually have a Blue Zones branded wine. You can Google it if you want. But we found the wine in Sardinia with the highest levels of polyphenols known. And uh, I had it blended for the American palate, which is really kind of rich and plummy. And uh, so I, I drink a couple glasses of that every day with friends at happy hour. By the way, I do happy hour here during COVID out in my yard, and we only have six people and we're spaced, but I find that to be a really great blue zone type strategy to lower stress and foment good social connectivity. Well, I'm glad we talked about wine because I think with alcohol, it was something I heard once, I think it rings true. It's like you have three groups. You have people who don't drink people who drink way too much and then what you have is and this is the large population is the messy middle and <laughs> i think what you mentioned is really important so you're drinking wine socially you're enjoying it it's part of a meal versus i'm going home by myself and I'm drinking solo and it's a different intent and i think it also speaks to how we think about diet and enjoying a great dessert. Are we having that in the same way? Are we enjoying that glass of wine with friends? Are we having that beautiful, luscious, delicious chocolate cake with friends? Or am I having it by myself because I'm pissed or upset? And I think it's just so important and something I think is, it's an important distinction as we think about alcohol and food in general. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of drinking by yourself. I, I, I would never recommend it. Yeah, but it goes back. It's it's like if you're out with friends, whether it's dessert or wine, and you're okay with it, I always say you're better. You probably do more harm to your well-being if you're depriving yourself and you're upset about it than rather enjoying and having the piece of cake or the glass of wine. Exactly. So any advice for someone listening who says, all right, this sounds really good. I, I don't have to go to CrossFit. I don't have to go to the gym. I can ha have some plant-based food. I can have coffee. I can have wine. But other than obviously you've got a lot of great books, including cookbooks to get people started. Like what, what advice do you have for people out there who say like, all right, I want to give this a try. I would to really understand what it is, I, I have these Blue Zones books, but I also did a very popular TED Talk. If you Google that, take you 18 minutes and you have the foundation. There's a website, bluezones.com, and we have a true vitality test. It's free. Everything we get is free, by the way. And you can see how long you're going to live. And given your current behaviors, when you'll likely develop your first chronic disease, and, and then a customized list of prescriptions, that's a really good second stop. We also have something called a Blue Zone Challenge, which will give you a set of things to do to start changing your environment. You can find that on our website. And we have social media, either at Dan Butner or Blue Zones, where we're constantly kind of showing people on a day-to-day -day basis on what they could do to live a more Blue Zones life. And by the way, the value proposition for the average American is about eight extra years of life expectancy if you optimize it over if you just let inertia 
to carry you through. Wow. So it's valuable. My last question, what's next for Blue Zones? What are you working on? Any exciting projects in the works? Well, I, we've teamed up with the Adventist Health System, and we continue to do Blue Zone projects. We Entire cities hire us, and we hire a team of people for five years. It's privately funded, publicly supported by the mayor and city council. And we've been starting work with Austin and Orlando and Jacksonville, Florida. And then I'm writing another Blue Zones kitchen book, this time in America. And uh, photographer David McLean and I, it's for National Geographic, we are in a sprinter van canvassing all of America for the best whole food plant-based cooking. And we're aggregating it into a, a book. And what we're finding, Jason, is that the great American traditions, African-American, Asian-American, Latin American, Native American, if you rewind the tape, follow the roots back to the mid-19th century, that um, the original American cuisine was Blue Zones. And we're just going back and capturing that. And it's gotten richer and more processed and meatier and cheesier over the last century. But you go to the roots, it was the perfect diet for all of us to live to 100. Well, I'm a huge fan of Dan Buettner and all things Blue Zones, but this might be the best one yet. I'm super, in a sense, it's a new spin on American classics and comfort food. I think we could all use that because comfort food at its core, I would say, is probably discomforting. <laughs> yeah, but the other big revelation is comfort food does not have to be unhealthy. Comfort yeah. food could be healthy. They, they, there's a a Peppa Pot or the bean dishes that African-Americans made, those things, they slow cook until the beans turn creamy, and then they use a type of cornbread to sop it up. And it's warm, it's hearty, it's comforting, it's tasty, and it's bean and grains. I mean, mm -hmm. with some spices in there. You don't have to have a half a pound of pig fat or some big animal bone to make food taste good. It's just, uh, the meat was a celebratory food in the mid 19th century. So our ancestors got very good at making simple peasant food taste good. And we're just going back and, and exhuming those recipes and bringing them to life. I love it. Well, Dan, thank you so much. As I mentioned, we, we love all things Blue Zones and it's always great to have you and, and talk about ways we can Make simple changes to help us live longer, happier, healthier lives. Amen. Well, we love everything Mind Body Green, and thank you. And to everybody who took the time to listen to us, I'm sending you all a big telephonic hug. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.